The following is a production of differentbrains.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today we go all the way up to New Hampshire, where David A. Grant, one of the international leaders in traumatic brain injury, an advocate, a speaker, an author, and he himself has had quite a lot of experience with it. He has founded the TBI Hope magazine and does a whole bunch of other stuff we're going to hear about here on Exploring Different Brains. David, welcome. Thank you, Hacky, and thank you for your kind words. Well, thank you for everything you're doing. You know, I mean, uh, here you are. You were, at the time, I think you were 49 years old, and uh, you smash your brain up. Tell us how that happened. <laughs> I've never had anybody put it so succinctly. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I want to keep it kind of light today, but I was, uh, I'm an endurance cyclist. And, well, a what um, cyclist? Cyclist, yes. Oh, okay. And I've met a lot of my children and my stepchildren's friends over the years, but I never expected to meet one of my stepdaughter's Facebook friends um, the way we met. I was out one day uh, in November of 2010. I push out 20 to 30 miles every day. I'm still up to the task. And uh, a young man T-boned me um, in an intersection on Main Street in our town. And uh, from that point to this point, it's been quite a journey. Well, let's start at the beginning. You're driving along on your bike. You're an avid bicyclist. You're pushing along. And uh, boom, your whole life changes. Take us through it. Yeah, I, uh, I pulled up to an intersection that I'm intimately familiar with. I'm, um, oh, probably three, actually it's 3.42 in the afternoon. And I tend to be a relatively conservative guy. Um, had the reflective cycling clothes on, looked to the left, clear, looked to the right, clear, gave one push with my pedal, and uh, the next thing I knew, I was airborne. Uh, my first thought was, oh my goodness, I've just been hit. Um, and it's interesting because when you go through an extreme trauma like that, time tends to shift things a little bit. And it was only when I was in the air that I heard the sound of my body um, impacting the car. Um, I went right through the windshield of the car that, that hit me and physics are, uh, uh, are what they are. Um, he catapulted me. My first impact was against the windshield. Um, my brain inside my skull bounced from one side and then back to the other. And then I flew about 50 feet down main street. And, um, that Superman act ended with, a. Uh, me hitting the blacktop and being knocked senseless. Um, not my best day, but if I fast forward to today, a lot of good has come out of it. Wow. So now they take you to the hospital, I assume. Yeah. And they do what, a CAT scan, MRI? What do they do there? Yeah, what they did, I, um, I, I'm fortunate in that the community that I live in, Hackey, is in southern New Hampshire. And the nearest trauma center is across state lines down in Massachusetts. And uh, I also had the good fortune of being struck about a block from our local fire station. So there were first responders on scene very quickly. Uh, my wife and I were relative newlyweds 
and I did have the wherewithal as I was being strapped into the gurney to repeatedly call out my wife Sarah's cell phone number. They were able to get her on the phone and she got the call that no wife wants to get. Your husband's been critically injured. And um, by circumstance, she ended up following the ambulance down to Massachusetts and they assessed me. Um, they said I had a uh, broken elbow. Um, because of the force of the impact, I was cut up pretty bad. Uh, Sarah spent the next three or four days pulling shards of glass out of my scalp with tweezers. Um, I tore up a whole bunch of ligaments. Um, I was covered with bruises for weeks. And um, they had wanted to keep me uh, overnight for observation. They did a, um, a CAT scan that night as well to see if there was uh, perhaps a bleed. Uh, my helmet was ruined. And um, against medical advice, I informed the attending staff that um, I am neither sick nor infirmed and I am going home tonight. So um, I went out with marching orders to see a neurologist and an orthopedist the next day. Um, and the um, orthopedist put my arm in a cast and he said, you know, you're gonna be uncomfortable for a couple of months and you'll have pain for six months. And Hacky, almost six months to the day, the pain in my, my arm disappeared. And we went to a neurologist for an assessment and we, uh, I was uh, subject to what's called a Montreal cognitive test. It's a series of questions to determine my cognitive ability. And I was given a clean bill of health, um, literally a high five and told that uh, told uh, by the doctor that I had dodged a bullet and a really big congratulations. And time has proven that not to be true. Wow. So now, now you've done what all gets all of us orthopedic surgeons uh, nervous. You uh, ride a bicycle or a motorcycle. That gets us real nervous. And uh, <laughs> you smash your head, but you get a clean bill of health and things are looking good. What was the first tip-off that things were not looking so good? You know, that's a really good question. I, I had, um, and it's it's very abstract and hard to, to define, but I had a feeling on the inside that things just weren't quite right. Um, my body was beaten up pretty badly, so it continued the slow process of recovering from my physical injuries. And I said to my wife repeatedly, something's just not right. The, um, the first indicator actually came in January, so we're fully two months out after the accident. Um, by that time, I was in the grips of just devastating PTSD, horrific nightmares, um, uh, two, three, four nights a week, um, the wake up at 12 midnight or 5 a.m. screaming and covered in sweat kind of nightmares. And uh, it didn't take a, a, a rocket scientist to quickly play connect the dots with that. But in, in January of the following year, I went to read uh, read something, and my brain wasn't able to recognize letters. And the analogy, I like easy, simple to understand analogies. They they just work best. Um, imagine if we were, if you opened your office door and you stepped out and you were in Tokyo instead of Fort Lauderdale, and all of the signs out there had characters that you knew represented text, but you're unfamiliar, so you weren't able to translate the text to um, anything meaningful. That's what it looked like. I looked at the text and went, I can't, I can no longer read. Wow. And it happened just like that. Wow. Um, one day I could read one day I couldn't. And again, this is in January. Um, I had a medical professional postulate that it may have been 
Uh, clearly there was damage. And uh, he had suggested that it may have been at the microscopic level. And it takes a couple of months for damage like that to turn into scar tissue. Um, so I immediately freaked out. Um, we went down to the neurologist the next day. And he said, you know, it looks like you've probably had a concussion. And uh, my first thought was, yeah, that's a pretty good assessment based on what's happening. And he said, well, we're going to put it because I'm all about when I'm, early on. I was all about when am I going to recover? When will I get back to where I was? And um, he said six months, 12 months, maybe 18 months max. But you'll be normal um, and completely healed within that time frame. Um, and time has proven that not to be true as well. Yeah, but you withheld information that you were never normal to begin with, right? Well, <laughs> uh, normal is a setting on a washing machine. That's, That's about right. as close to any of us are to normal. Well uh, said, well said. It's, it's I'm stealing it from somebody else. Now, tell us how you got into advocating and helping empower others and getting in to spread the word about traumatic brain injury, TBI? Well, the, uh, when I was, there was a second incident that happened in March, and that brought me back to the neurologist again. And that one was, uh, I had a, uh, I went off for a bike ride, and it was going to be a 30-mile ride. In my mental perception, being five minutes into the ride, I looked at the um, GPS device that I was using to measure my ride, and it showed that I'd already ridden 30 miles with virtually no recall. Wow. And it's akin to having a digital camera with no, no memory card in it. I looked normal, um, but something clearly wasn't right. So that was the third and final trip to that neurologist. We went down, we were at the neurologist again the following day. And this time the doctor that we had been seeing took us to see the head of the practice and he, he was the first one to uh, officially label me as um, living with post-traumatic stress disorder. And he said, yeah, you're, we're going to move you from a, a slight concussion to a severe concussion, but not to worry, David. You'll be okay. It might take five years, but you'll be okay after five years. And um, so what I started to do is, you know, and again, it is what it is. You know, I, I've cut everyone that's crossed my path. A mulligan. Everybody did the best they could with the information that they've had at hand. And I've seen a lot of folks over the years become embittered by um, errant, well-intentioned medical diagnoses. And you can't live in that space of carrying resentment or bitterness because, hacky, it's a barrier to moving forward. And if you live in that space, you're, you're disserving yourself and you're cutting back on your ability to serve humanity. You see, in your, in your mind... In your mind, you clearly see the physical relationship between the physical trauma and the PTSD. Mm -hmm. And what we're learning and all the people we're meeting at differentbrains.com between all the neurological and the intellectual and the mental health issues, it's all the same stuff and it all has an anatomical basis. It's not mm -hmm. just a separate thing. Uh, here, your brain gets all jumbled around, and it's manifesting itself in behaviors, interpretations, PTSD, nightmares, inability to read. And when technology gets there, which it rapidly is, 
If yes. we were watching you perform those tasks, we would see your brains light up in certain areas asymmetrically and so forth. Yeah. But you've put that all together. Well, interestingly, I've crossed paths over the last six and a half years with <clears throat> literally thousands of folks that are in the brain injury survivor family. And the piece that I find interesting is those that have recall of whatever the initial trauma is are more inclined to deal with the dual diagnosis of PTSD and um, brain injury. And those that have no recall of whatever the traumatic event is, um, I don't think I've ever met a single brain injury survivor that um, fell into the I have no recall that also coexists with PTSD. So in one respect, Hacky, it's kind of bittersweet. If I, if I didn't have recall of the, the event, um, and I still live daily with PTSD today, um, you know, my fate might have been a little different. But part of what my wife and I have done in terms of saying, okay, how do we coexist with this? Uh, because there are still some really bad days. Um, I look at it as when I experience the tougher times, even still, or because brain injury is a family condition, it doesn't affect just the individual. When as a family, we experience uh, challenging times, what do I do? Do I look at that and say, okay, um, poor us, poor us, poor us? Or do I say rather that by living these experiences, I am now better able to understand those who live similar experiences, not because, of, because I've read about it in a book, but I've been there. So I try, and, I try and be mindful of the fact that what may be a tough time is actually ultimately an asset because it, it, it helps others. And just in case this is of any help to you, because it, it was of help to me, mm -hmm. I read the first half of a book by Viktor Frankl uh, called Man's Search for Meaning, I think. And he was the founder of Logotherapy. I only read the first half. The second half got into Logotherapy. The first half started with how he got into all that, which was his experience in the concentration camp, mm -hmm. where he would have to be moving the dead bodies of friends in the barrack. The stench was terrible. He was barely surviving. And it was the most horrible time one can imagine. And he would look out through the dirty windows with the barbed wire and look off in the distance and maybe see a sunset. So mm -hmm. he would say, right there I had a choice. My choice was to just curse God and say, this is awful, this is terrible, this and that. Or to say, I hope you have a good reason for this, this is awful, don't let it happen again, but mm -hmm. that's a beautiful sunset. So. Yeah. The, the choices we make in the mindfulness you're talking about, when it is our choice, it's not always our choice, naturally. And you've been there. Yeah, the, um, you know, it's, a lot of it's a matter of perspective. You know, for, for years, uh, my wife Sarah said, the curse will become a blessing. And uh, I wrote a short piece about this just this week. Uh, one, of my, one of my sayings for the first couple of years is I would rather give my right arm and not have a brain injury See, the David who sits before you, I'm not the person I used to be. Um, I'm a very typical TBI guy. I've got, um, I lost, the other piece that happened in 2011 is I abruptly lost the ability to speak. And that happened uh, somewhere February, March, April of, of 2011. Um, I developed a stutter, um, aphasia. 
Uh, the fact that I'm able to hold a conversation at this time of day is just a testament to neuroplasticity and how healing can take uh, literally years. Um, but I used to say I'd rather, you know, I'd rather lose my right arm and not have a brain injury. These days, I'd rather keep both arms. You know, I've come to the point where this isn't how I envisioned our lives to be. But over the last few years, we have had innumerable blessings. And the piece that, that my wife and I love, and I reference her a lot because we're very much a team in all of this, is there's an amazing subculture of people that serve the brain injury community. Um, thank you for the book reference. I will look that up, and I'm going to fire one back at you. I don't know if you've heard of the concept of post-traumatic growth. If you haven't, Google it. There are some fascinating scholarly articles. And the gist of post-traumatic growth, my editor, I'm a staff writer for brainline.org as well. And my editor brought that concept to me a year, maybe a year and a half ago. And in its simplest forms, um, people who have experienced extreme trauma do not become burdened by that trauma, nor do they let it ruin their lives. They use it as a portal, an entryway to help serve others that have experienced similar experiences. And um, I started looking around, Hacky, at the landscape of my life, and I went, you know what? A lot of people that are part of that new circle of, of those that we associate with have all experienced post-traumatic growth. It's a fascinating concept. I love um, it. I love it. Post-traumatic yeah. growth. Yep. And um, what it does is it adds purpose to it all. Just like, you know, the, the author that you referenced, you know, said, you know what, God, thanks for letting me look at this. You know, if it was me in his shoes, you know, thank you for the gift of a couple of minutes of, um, uh, of a sunset. And thanks for reminding me that I'm not here alone. You know, tell us about the TBI Hope magazine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That has been singularly the most amazing piece of this whole journey. And if I have the benefit of a couple of minutes, um, when that initial face-to-face -face peer group started, um, we were great friends one day a month, but for 29 days a month, we didn't see each other. And there was that void. So I thought, let's start a Facebook group specific to our local support group where members could touch base, chime in. We're actually gonna meet uh, later this evening and where it's now no longer tissues, now it's best friends meeting. And it worked very well. And I had a thought, and I deem a lot of my thoughts to come not from within me, but from outside. I wonder if something like that would work on a larger scale. So I founded the TBI Hope Facebook community, and that was founded in 2012 or 2013. And if you'd asked me when I founded it, I would have said, you know, in a year, maybe we'll have a couple of, couple of hundred members. And what I wanted to do was create that sacred space where people could jump out of their day, maybe get a little motivation, connect with others that share their fate and move back into their day. To fast forward to today, we've got almost 25,000 members, 30 countries. Wow. We average about a quarter million user engagements a month. It's one of the world's largest social communities. Wow. It's just, it's been, uh, and I'm like the Wizard of Oz, the guy behind the green curtain, pay no attention to him. I turn all the gears and make things happen, but I like to kind of stay out of that spotlight. And I've watched members meet each other, share experiences, share compensatory strategies. strategies. And my wife and I are always asking ourselves, how can we do more? How can we serve more people? And um, the idea of a magazine um, came up and for a little over two years, we've been publishing it digitally, and it's been just an amazing success. 
Uh, we've got thousands of readers worldwide, most are US-based. And the piece hacky that's been amazing is um, we expected our readership to be the, the, the biggest recipient of all of this. And part of what we try and do is it's a free resource, uh, tbihopemagazine.com. And uh, users, members can sign up for a once a month email where they can download a free version of it. And earlier this year, we decided to test the feasibility of a print version. Folks within the brain injury community have trouble with bright lights and they have trouble with continuity of thought. And we knew that was an issue. We had a lot of people reach out and an unsolicited plug. We went live with the print version. Uh, we baited it back in March, uh, soft launch. April was our first um, full full on production month. And now we're gonna be coming out once a month with a print version. And we've already had interest uh, literally all over the United States and the magazine and the, the silver lining is our contributing writers have seen their lives change. Uh, one of our recent writers, Barb George, uh, had a story in this month's issue posted on Facebook. Look, kids, Nana's been published. And what it does, Hacky, is the contributing writers have lives that are enriched because they're seeing what we've known for a long time, that their story can help others. Um, and we know who knows where we're going to go with it. And, uh, you know, there's always going to be what's next, what's next, what's next. David, can you tell our audience who want to know more about you and your work and what you do, how they can learn more about you and get a hold of you? Yeah, sure thing, Hacky. The, uh, the, the easiest way would be to head directly to tbihopeandinspiration.com. From there, we've got readily accessible links to all of our social communities, including Facebook. And um, I like to keep it simple, so that would be the easiest way to do it. Well, David, you've been very inspirational. It's been a pleasure to meet you here at Exploring Different Brains. Thank you so much for being with us. And David A. Grant, keep up the great work you do in the traumatic brain injury community. Thank you, Hacky. It's been a pleasure to be here. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.